When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. To it could happen here, a podcast about things falling apart. And you know, when things fall apart, one of the few things that can keep you on an even keel, you know, keep you feeling like there's something that makes sense in the world, is good TV. You know, I think we can all agree no job more important than making television because it's really for a surprising amount of the population the only thing keeping them on the ragged edge of sanity. Um, and obviously, if you're at all aware of the news, uh, both the Writers Guild, uh, the WGA, uh, and the Actors Guild, SAG-AFTRA, uh, have both separately, uh, although they are now you know, on strike at the same time, have both kind of independently announced strikes after a breakdown in negotiations with the major studios. Um, and to, to talk with me today about what's going on, what's it like being a writer on strike, um, is my friend and uh, one of the people who makes a show that helps keep me on the ragged edge of sanity, Soren Bowie. Soren, how you doing? Woo! <laughs> You're simply the best. Bow, hey, everybody. Bow, bow. <laughs> You're better than all the rest. Oh, stop it, Tina. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you. Nice. Very good. Very good. Hi. See, How's it going? Soren, you are my former colleague at uh, cracked.com.net backslash AOL. (laughs) Um, Don't send anyone there now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you are also, or at least before the strike hit, uh, were a, have been for the last several years, a writer on American Dad. Uh, One of the the most consistently funny animated shows of like 20 years now, almost it's been on the air. Stop (laughs) it. Stop. Oh, thank you. Robert, Tina, you guys are the best. Uh, that's very nice of you. Thank you very much for saying that. It did cost a lot of money to get her in the studio today. <laughs> uh, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah, I we we try very hard, but it also has it has like a feel at the show of like the warden isn't yeah. watching. Like we're kind of allowed to do what we want, and it's been yeah, great. You, you love your job. Uh, it's very obvious uh, that I think probably everyone there uh, loves writing for that show. Most of the people I know who write for TV have the same attitude of like, "Wow, I can't believe." I get to do this. Um, but that attitude is great, and it makes life 
livable, but what doesn't make life livable and what makes the enjoyment of the job harder is starving to death, uh, <laughs> which is an yeah. increasing reality yeah. <laughs> for a lot of writers. Um, over the last like 10 years, um, so a decade ago, about 33% of TV writers got what was paid like the minimum rate, which is kind of the minimum rate you could, you pay to, mm-hmm. you get paid to get staffed on, on a, a union show. Um, and the WGA says that about half of TV writers are the, at that point now. Um, writer pay has declined yeah. about 14% over the last five years. And that's with inflation. That's, that's, that's like if you kind of take out inflation, right? Everybody's making a yeah, with inflation, yeah, it's like yeah, 23. Yeah, it's about 23% yeah. writer-producer pay uh, over the last decade with inflation factored in. So that sucks because people aren't watching 23% <laughs> less TV. In fact, I think we're watching more TV than we ever have before. Like, um, yeah. so it, and I, I like, if you listen to the kind of numbers given by streaming platforms about how many people are watching, it sure doesn't seem like TV uh, writers have have been gotten 23% worse at their jobs. Um so anyway, there was the the WGA went into negotiations earlier this year and basically to kind of, you know, shorten it, we're asking for more money. Uh more money in residuals, more money in in upfront pay, changes to some policies that streamers were using to kind of avoid. There's been sort of this effort by streamers for a while now to kind of kill the concept of a writers room in a lot of shows and they have a couple of different sort of fucky ways to do that. I gotta say, Robert, it is a dream to come on your, a podcast with you because you do your fucking homework. <laughs> I usually I'm the one who has to explain all this stuff, but this is great. I'm loving where this is going. Yeah, Go I, I on, you're like, actually right. Can you walk us through kind of what's been happening? Because th- that's a thing that I think is sort of you miss that on kind of the big level sort of like discussions of this is like what like what a writer's room is and sort of what streamers have been trying to try to do to change that because fundamentally, like one thing people who know what they're talking about will point out is that like movies are, you know, not that scripts don't matter, but it's like a director's medium. That's like the big sort of like guiding, you know, uh, through the vision of like what a film is going to be. And TV is a writer-driven medium more often. You'll at least hear that a lot. And I kind of want to talk about like, what is a writer's room and what has been changing in terms of how studios have been trying to edge that concept out? Great, great question. So, uh, so writer's room traditionally, like you think back to broadcast television in its heyday, the way a writer's room worked is you had probably, first of all, you're going to have like 20 to 22 episodes a season. Um, and then within that, you've got a block of anywhere from like 10 to almost sometimes 20 writers. And the reason that you have so many writers on a show like that is because while you're working on it, it's also in production. So as stories are being broken, and that means that there are rooms where people are creating a story together, as that's going on, there's like six other things going on. Like you're going to have they're probably filming during that time. And if that's your particular written by episode, like that's the episode with your name on it, you might be on set for that because you're going to be having to make changes on the fly while that's going on. There's table reads happening. There's joke punch-ups happening. So there's generally a separate room for that. And so you need like a pretty big group of people to just make a show, to just write a show. Um, And that's to let, that's to keep (laughs) the hours within like, to keep them, bearable. I mean, it doesn't even, you, you wouldn't even turn that into a nine to five. Generally, that's still a lot of hours with a lot of people, but at least it's bearable for for everybody. Now streaming has tried to change that because they're tired of hiring so many writers and they're tired of paying writers. And so with streaming, there's different loopholes that they can get into, which is if you start creating a show um, before it's even technically greenlit, 
you can start having writers write episodes. But because it's not greenlit, you're not beholden to the same rules through the WGA. You can start hiring people at their at a minimum, even if they are should be making more than that. And depending on what your position is at in a, as a writer, like you start as a staff writer, then you move up to story editor, then executive story editor, and you move up and up and up from there. Generally, what happens is if you leave a show as a as an executive story editor, you don't then go to another show and drop back down to staff writer. You maintain the position that you have because you've now learned the trade enough that usually you have a skill set that's valuable enough that you should be bang, being paid for being an executive story editor. So what they're doing is they're making sure that people are not being paid for the roles that they generally have because they can do that before a show has been greenlit. And then they will say, we're going to write like, let's just write uh, 12 episodes. And that's a lot. Like that's a whole season of television, but they're doing it before it's greenlit. And then what happens is you will have these writers who are burning the midnight oil, trying to get this thing done and calling in a lot of favors from friends because you have a, such a small group of writers. You have maybe like in a, in a pre-greenlit room, you've got like three or four people trying to write an entire season of a show. Yeah. And as they're writing it, they're like, they're calling in favors from friends to be like, will you come edit this and stuff? Because you don't have enough people for everything. You have to break all these stories simultaneously. You have to know what's going on in each individual room, but you don't have enough bandwidth for all of that. So- you're calling in favors from other people. Like, do we just come and like, look at this? Will you just mm-hmm. take a look? Like we need like eyes on this. And so you're calling in favors from friends. Studios have figured out that they can, they can, yeah. sh- you can ask people to do this. Essentially. It's like, yeah, the it's a economy. natural part of the writing process. Every writer yeah. in every form of writing does a version of this. And they're like, what if we did this to help to make it easier to starve people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and then what they would do, there's different tactics beyond that, which is like, once those are at, once those episodes are written, then maybe the studio will, will, uh, they, they can kind of pick and choose when they want to release that. They don't have like a, uh, it's not like a broadcast television where everything gets released in the fall. It's just yeah. like, you can choose when you want to release it. So maybe you wait a year or whatever you release it and then you can release it in two seasons. So if you have 12 episodes, you can cut those into two, six, six, six. episodes, which I fucking yeah. hate. I, I, you <laughs> know, this is a little bit of a distraction, but like we miss by the, because we're not doing seasons the way they used to. There's so much good shit we miss. Think like half the best yeah. episodes are Star Trek. We're just like, we have $40 to shoot this episode on. <laughs> like, how, what can we do with like three guys in a room? You know? I know. Like you yell, you're like, you miss out on those bottle episodes. Those like little <laughs> ones where you're just like. Or like that, if you think back to Breaking Bad, like there's the fly yeah, episode. Yeah, the fly episode, yeah. Oh, it's like the best episode of the show because you've got room to stop and breathe and like yeah. build just characters. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, it's like you you lose out on all of that. Then you can also, because you're breaking it up, you don't have to pay people to like advance them to the next yeah. the next season. Gen- and then that would also be released over the course of like two years. And so you have a writer who's written for maybe like 11 weeks on something mm-hmm. on a show and then they don't know that they have that job again for another two and a half years. Yeah. And so like, there's no consistency. There's not, and nothing is stable. And uh, that's makes it very, very difficult for writers to keep their jobs and like maintain yeah. a writing job. It's this really fucked up situation in which I think the streaming era uh, in freeing sort of television from some of like the the way that sweeps used to work, the way that mm-hmm. a lot of like kind of the way that you would have to like run shows and the way that they aired when you were you were doing it on like fucking cable and they're ad supported has allowed for 
t- kinds of TV shows and structures of shows that you never could have had, right? I was just, yeah. we're just watching The Bear. Probably the standout episode of The Bear from season two is this like episode about a family Christmas party that's just this absolute like anxious nightmare that's an hour long episode, twice the l- length of a normal episode. And oftentimes that's kind of a mixed thing with TV shows, but it works in this one. And it, the fact that it's so much longer actually like helps with like trans, you could you, you could only do that with shows that work the way they do in streaming. That wouldn't have been a thing that you would have gotten to do in, in 1993 probably. But while I think like there's a lot of cool stuff structurally that's gotten to come out of that, it's also, it's it's made the, compensation so much worse it's made the job so much less reliable like it's it's like it's really stark how much more difficult it's become to make a living in tv yeah yeah 100 while tv is more popular than ever yeah (laughs) yeah that's like it's making more money than it ever possibly has in the past um and certainly through streaming like they're not these these studios are not moving to streaming because like they they're early adopters of technology. The money is there, so they're going yeah. to streaming. It's like they're making way more through streaming, but writers are getting paid less and less because they're finding these like wild west loopholes in streaming. Um, residuals is another one that's like it, it. The way that residuals work is it is if you have a show that then gets played again uh, through syndication or through streaming, you should then get a residual check for every time that the ro- episode that you wrote mm-hmm. shows up on television, um, and it was very easy to track that as it would show up on like our show on American dad. Yeah. I know that it's going to get played on cartoon network. I know that it's going to get played at these other spots. The TBS will rerun it at some point. And I can, I know when those are coming in with streaming, it's much more difficult to determine when somebody watched something, not because those numbers don't exist, but because all these platforms that are created by studios will not give out that information. That information is like in a black box where you have no idea how often a show gets streamed. There's a couple of reasons like people are speculating as to why that might be. One is that either shows are getting watched way more often and people are not getting the proper residuals that they should be, Mm -hmm. or that the whole business model doesn't quite work. Yeah, that <laughs> it's then, all a con. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you found out how little people were actually watching television, you this whole uh, all investors everything, the whole thing would collapse. I don't know which is true. I don't care. I just want to know what the numbers are. It's like no, a big it, part of a big part of this is is the WGA asking different streaming platforms, you got to you got to be more transparent. You got to tell us how well our show is doing so that we know if people are getting paid properly. Yeah, and it's again, it would be one thing if like writers were getting less than ever and tv was just like dying as a as a thing as a as a as a creative thing that people want but the there is the money we know where the money is going uh the eight uh major hollywood studio ceos uh in 2021 made nearly three quarters of a billion dollars in annual salary which is more than the value of what the wga and sag aftra uh, want to take out of them and increase compensation for their members. Um, yeah, for those eight are. guys, I'm going to guarantee you, uh, Ari Emanuel, the highest compensated of these CEOs uh, over at Endeavor, $308 million. And to, <laughs> like, I don't think he made any of your, he's not responsible for any of your favorite shows. Whatever like Lion and the Great, you know, made you made you laugh or cry or like whatever, whatever joke from American Dad keeps you, uh, you know, makes you suddenly start like bawling out laughing while you're driving down the highway. That was not not Ari Emanuel, you know, not that, <laughs> neither of those shows were Endeavor, whatever. You know what I, you know what I'm trying to do here, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ted Sarandos, whatever. Uh, fucking, you know, uh, Bob Iger, um, uh, all these guys. Like they're they're. 
I mean, fundamentally, like Bob Iger, one of the big things he did was push the uh, the Flash movie out into theaters. Really <laughs> put a lot of money into that. Thought it was going to be important for the brand going forward. Lost so much money. Lost yeah, like probably a, about as much money as like the Writers Guild is asking for an increased compensation this year. Like if they just hadn't made that movie. Um, <laughs> Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk. You guys went on strike. What is it? It's been like two months now already? Yeah, it's like day 84 or something 84. like that. Yeah, so a little more than two months. How are you feeling? Like, what, what does it mean, like, physically to be on strike? Like, going out and picketing and stuff? Great questions, Robert. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's actually really nice. Yeah. I, I don't want to say like it's um, I enjoy it because I would rather be getting paid and, and not being freaking out about the fact that I don't yeah. have a job. But um, going out, it gives me it gives me a sense of purpose, first of all, each day yeah. to like get up and go out to the, to the picket lines. Yeah. Um, and you're out there, you're marching around it. You choose your studio like from the majority of the time I go to Sony or I go to Amazon mm. 
And I know the people there now. It's like going to the yeah. gym every day where you get to know the people there and then you build your community. And so I've got this group of people that like, I go there. These are just people that like, I happen to talk to because like, we'd see a truck going and we're like, oh, I hope that's not a Teamster truck or yeah. whatever. And then, and then you just like strike up a conversation with somebody, you start talking and then you find out that this person like ran Malcolm in the middle for eight <laughs> years and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people talk a lot about how the last writer's strike, which was kind of like right when I was getting out of fucking high school they're not far from that point um like a year or two later uh how the last writer strike was kind of what gave us the birth of like a lot of reality tv you could almost yeah. argue there was a degree to which it like was part of trump's rise to prominence right because that's why the apprentice gets yeah. on air because that's a way the studios can get around paying writers but i also wonder on the opposite end like how many shows do we get because of connections people make out of the picket line because like folks meet each other and get talking yeah. and like i do i do wonder if that's like a thing yeah, I, I guarantee it is. I mean, it, it yeah. is shocking how like how quickly you just chum up with people and like yeah. the 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 contact. <laughs> I shouldn't call it. It's like it's not it's not supposed to be a networking experience, but mm-hmm. it just ends up being that. Like you can't yeah. help it. Like you're just talking to people, and then all of a sudden your jobs come up, and you start talking yeah. about your work, and then people are like, after a little while, like, well, like send me something, like send me some mm-hmm. of your writing, and yeah. then you just become buddies, and like you start working on stuff accidentally together. And I guarantee that, like by the end of this, there'll be writing teams that didn't exist mm-hmm. before, and there'll be people who are want to make stuff together. Plus, the the studio pipeline will be empty, so like they're gonna yeah. want to like fill it with. They're gonna want to fill it. Yeah, uh, when the strike ends, and guaranteed, there's gonna be people from the lines who came mm-hmm. up with stuff on the lines who are gonna be like. We've got lots like there's mm-hmm. <laughs> we, what about this? And be like, yes, that buy it. We'll take that. And I, I like just kind of in general, the fact that like that's sort of the the hope, right? Like that's actually the thing that can defeat these giant industry colossuses, not just like writing TV shows with other people, but like the solidarity, like the fact that you're building connections with people, the fact that you there's an understanding of shared interest. You're seeing this, especially like now that like SAG-AFTRA has joined the strike. There's a lot of. A lot of people who are very famous and prominent talking about issues that go well beyond Hollywood, right? The yeah. the 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 incredible amount that executive pay and compensation has increased over the years. The fact that a lot of companies that used to do things of value and employ people and good jobs have been hollowed out uh, for the short term profits of you know vulture capitalists whose job is to you know fucking suck money out and hand it to shareholders and shit. Um, like this is not just a, you know, a lot of this started in the fucking nineties. We've talked about like, uh, uh, Jack Welch and GE and kind of like how that company was turned from something that made stuff to something that produced stock value and fired people. Um, and you're, you're getting that all across entertainment right now. And I think this is, I think, and this is something I think kind of everyone knows on some level, this is an inflection point, right? You know, AI is a part of it. The fact that we're about to see, them try to use this technology to um, yes. cut down the number of people they have to pay even further. But it's like, this is bigger than than Hollywood. Hollywood is just getting a lot of attention because actors know how to get attention. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is the job. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, yeah. Writers are good at building the narrative and actors yeah, yeah. are very good at getting attention. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah. It's like, it was a, it's a worst case scenario, honestly, for, yeah. like, for the studios. Just, and just because it's no coincidence that UPS uh, is going on strike, that all these companies are going on strike right now because the same thing's happening across the board mm-hmm. where it's like this consolidation of power and then consolidation of money. And then it's just like 
all that you are beholden to when you are at the top of these companies is the shareholders and like yeah. getting them money. And so whatever way you can do that, you do it. And a lot of times the way you do that is that you just fuck everybody at the bottom and figure out how to carve out money from them and bring it, rise it to the top. Um, and so, yes, I think that it's what happened was the WGA went on strike. The WGA is a very strong, good guild, good union mm-hmm. that like does not blink. And, and Everyone saw that and immediately people were on the side of the WGA in a way mm-hmm. that I think no one anticipated that all everybody else in unions is like, no, this is wrong. Like we should, we're dealing with the exact same stuff and universally everyone seems to be on the side of unions right now. Then that's like, we should use that. Like we should, we should ride that wave a little bit. Um, and absolutely they should, because there's, uh, there's so many things that are systemically broken right now. Just happens to be the entertainment industry is the only one that I have. It, yeah. Uh, I have skin in the game on. We had this moment about a week or so ago where, you know, um, a couple of weeks ago that it came out that like some anonymous uh, studio executive told a writer at, I think it was Deadline, that their plan was to, uh, that the, the WGA's demands were unreasonable and we're just going to kind of wait out until they lose their homes, right? Until yeah. they're on the street and then we'll, <laughs> yeah. then we can get them to accept it. And, uh, you know, this was right around when SAG was, you know, deciding to strike. And Ron Perlman gets on and makes a little video where he basically says, you know, we can burn your houses down. Like, there's more than one way to lose a house. And uh, I thought the important thing about sharing that, because one of the ways, you know, media works is that there's people, the le- the things that people are willing to listen to and that can, like, affect them and change their minds is partly dependent on the situational context at the time. This is why so many of, like, the journalism, much of the journalism I've done the far right, like, has been articles that I felt like I had to get out within an hour or two of a shooting because people will pay attention to these these things that are problems that are important. They won't le- If I do a deep dive on how this specific kind of radicalization works normally, but if somebody's just been shot, they'll listen, you know? And that's, like, unfortunate, but that's the way people are and um there's this i thought what what i thought was important about that is that not that you know ron perlman threatened to burn down a guy's house that's just kind of funny (laughs) but what he was doing there that's really valuable that i think more people need to think about is accepting that when you're saying something like well we just need to wait for writers to lose their homes that's a violent threat that is a threat to harm somebody for your own personal gain. And we shouldn't view that as like fundamentally morally different than saying, I want to go rob a guy with a 38, right? <laughs> like I don't I don't feel like there's a big moral gap between them. And you can get people to actually kind of who maybe wouldn't think about that to think about that this way. And I think that's an important thing to transmit in this time. Oh man, a hundred percent. Yeah. The fact that that what it gives like gives you real context for what they're actually saying when they say we just got to wait them out till they don't have any more money and like it it's really starts to uh hurt their health and well-being <laughs> like yeah. you have somebody else being like oh i can hurt your health and well-being and you're like <laughs> yeah. okay i get how those are the same thing but but <laughs> but that's not what I, the way i was saying it was it was more removed you see mm-hmm. and so you're absolutely right like having hellboy come out and be like there's lots of ways to lose a house <laughs> it's like oh shit yeah yeah, it's a, it's a, it's there, there's like potential right now that I, I'm glad to see recognized. Bean Dad, the dress, thirty to fifty feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. Sixteenth Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? 
why did the internet choose them, and what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How are you doing, like, just in general with this? Because it is, you know, we've talked about all the good parts. There's a lot that's good. This is, like, this is a stressful time. Like, I'm wondering, Uh, like... Thanks, when man. You wake up and thanks, like you hear. Thanks for acknowledging that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's like how you, how you be. <laughs> uh, it sucks. It sucks real yeah. bad. It sucks particularly badly because I loved my job. Um, yeah. I when I talk about all these things, a lot of this wasn't happening at my job. My job was a. I had was working for an animated show that ran twenty two episodes a season. That was. It would get. Uh, we knew when we were getting our pickups generally, yeah. uh, and. It was a system that worked and I was really, really enjoying it and very happy at my job. I was getting paid well. Like I liked everything about it. I felt like it was financially stable and I was getting what I deserved and I was just happy. And that's not what's happening across like 80% of other shows right now. And so like we left, we left our show in solidarity of other writers because at some point, you know, this, I maybe won't have this job anymore and I'll have Mm -hmm. to go get another job. And also for all the people who are, working those other jobs and it's really, really struggling right now to even make ends meet. We know they're watching, they're working on three different shows a year and like they came and pay their rent. Like we're working on behalf of them, but more importantly, like we're striking on behalf of all of the other writers who are going to come along after this. Like the fact that the 2008 strike happened was the reason that my show is so good and has such good benefits. Mm-hmm. And like why the show is, is comfortable for writers because they fucking went to work and like they got what they needed uh, from the studios, even though it was hard and it was bitter and a lot of them lost their jobs over it. And so now it's just like, 
even though it sucks and I'm not happy about it, it's, it's our turn to do it. It's like our turn yeah. to make sure that everything works. Yeah, that's such an important detail that like a lot of the people striking, when you, there's been this kind of like bad faith thing. I've seen, I've seen some people on the left do it online where like they'll post some video of like an actor, you know, talking about why they're doing the strike. Be like, this person's net worth is this many millions of dollars. And it's like, yeah. well, they're not striking for them. Like yeah. Ron, Ron Perlman is going to be okay. Ron Perlman <laughs> is not going to be forced out of his home. Yeah. Like that's not why they're doing this because right. I mean, Yeah. That you can have a you can you can have a good job, but also have a sense of the bigger picture and like mm -hmm. a greater a greater good. <laughs> yeah, you can just like care about the art form. You know, I, yeah. I, we're watching journalism get fucking eaten alive right now, yeah. and AI is gonna is is has been a part of like people have already lost their jobs because of this shit. And like the thing that keeps being brought up to me when I'll. I'll talk about it to like family or whatever. It's like, well, you know, they're using it to replace these low level jobs, you know, sum up sports articles or like, you know, this kind of coverage or that kind of coverage. Like, it's not the kind of stuff you do. It's not like investigation. You can't have a machine do that. And it's like, well, yeah, but how do you think people learn to do what I do? Like, part of it is like doing the, like, that's the feeder, right? It's part of what you're yeah. saying about like TV writing. It's like they're trying to kill the way in which people learn how to continue this art form. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah. No. It's it, it. There's so many parallels between this and what's happening with journalism yeah. in terms of like is turning it essentially into a gig economy, which is exactly yeah. what destroyed the news. Yeah. Or is destroying the news. But like, yeah. yeah, it's it's the same thing. And and when you talk about AI, like you, if you were to write an episode of a show and you have a written by credit on it, you get a mm -hmm. script fee for that. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, like what the studios want is to just have a piece of shit. AI written script to begin with, and then they're not paying a script fee to anybody. And then writers just fix that. Mm -hmm. And so like, yeah, it's a, it's a, all these different like cost saving measures that ensure that no one will ever come up through this industry again and yeah. learn all the things. Yeah. There will still be people who become writers, but there'll be people whose parents are rich. And so they can afford <laughs> to work for free for forever. And yeah. then, and then, you know what? We don't get the bear. Yeah. <laughs> The man. bear and its curiously jacked leading man. Where's <laughs> when's he, where's he get the time? When's he putting down the protein? We're not seeing him chug a protein shake every 20 minutes. You yeah, complained about this on Twitter, and I agree with you. <laughs> the structure that requires, the, the like, to get a body like that, the structure you need in your life, and, like, the regiments that you need to follow need to be, like, to a T every single mm -hmm. day. And mm -hmm. there's just, he's too spontaneous. There's too much going on in his life. He doesn't have time. He doesn't have mm -mm. two hours to mm -mm. carve out to go yeah. to the gym every no. day. no. This is my only issue. Like, this is what's really <laughs> threatening my support of the WGA. I just needed an episode of The Bear where they all it is is going through his workout routine. Yeah. He's in the back room. He's doing some curls, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's got bags of rice back there. He's doing squats with them on his shoulders. I, I even even I want to see him at 3 a.m. in the morning and I'll buy it. I'll be mm -hmm. at five at 3 a.m. in the morning and he's like going to an anytime fitness or fucking whatever. Yeah, exactly. And he's like working out a little bit. I could be like, okay, there it is. Okay, That's when he's go. doing it. There we go. That's how he fits it in. Let me see him get his BCAAs, you know, have fucking Richie be like, you taking your pre-workout today? Yeah. Give it. Give me a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. Soren, you got an out here. Um, do you have anything you want to plug uh, before, like, perhaps a podcast with our with our other former colleague, Dan O'Brien? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got a show called uh, Quick Question with Dan and Soren. No, Soren and Dan. Oh, God, I'm a headliner. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Quick Question with Soren and Daniel. You can check that out anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It's basically just Dan and I catching up because we live on opposite coasts and we're good mm -hmm. buddies. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's about it. Yeah. Excellent. Check out Quick Question 
questions with Soren and Dan. Special show. Um, just a thank you. Just a wonderful time. Soren, thank you so much. My and pleasure. uh, you know, good luck out there on the picket line to you, to all of the other writers, and to everybody at SAG AFTRA. Thank you. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.